0: I have not forgotten you all, I promise. Uh, construction is finally halted, um, oh, there's gonna be a tiny ditch more, like, the people who are doing it, like, apparently didn't measure the room correctly and had to go back for some more tiles, but that won't be for a little while, so recording is starting again. I'm so happy. I've been missing our stories and our recording time so much. I hope that you all have kind of been missing it, too, during the hiatus. Uh, we're gonna pick right back up, though, with Volume 2, Chapter 12. Um, just a quick recap of the last chapter. Um, the Miss Dashwoods met with their brother, and, um, he had this long chat with Eleanor and showed his silliness, essentially. Um... His wife hadn't wanted to go visit Mrs. Ferrer's, but he was going to report that Mrs. Not Mrs. Ferrer's. His wife hadn't wanted to go to visit, um... (laughs) Wow. Okay, that's not a good sign. And I will warn you, I have forgotten, like, most of the, um, the voices I've used, but apparently I forgot Mrs. Jennings' name. There. As soon as I wasn't trying to say it, it came. When I was trying to say it, it was gone. Okay. Anyway. He came... Uh, the wife, Fanny, hadn't come, but he said that Mrs. Jennings was good and he liked meeting Lady Middleton, um, so we can expect to see more of them now um, They're in town. Uh, two things we have to talk about today for chapter notes. The first is a fire screen, which sounds pretty self-evident, but I thought I'd touch on it. Um, fire screens... Um and that day and age were largely decorative and now, if like the fireplace where I grew up, you know it came with these little chain link things you slid in front of the fire um mostly to just keep us from playing in the fireplace, but um you know, when the fire was not in use, but then um we also had like tempered glass things that slide in front of your fireplace, and um Fireplaces are very drafty, you know, when they're not in use, because obviously they have to have air. You know, the whole fireplace part doesn't really work that well. Um, And also, fires are hot. (laughs) So their solution in that day and age was a fire screen, which was actually a largely decorative piece of uh, wood, usually, that... um, was set in front of the fire and then ladies the lady of the house or her daughters would take turns decorating it you know they'd embroider a very pretty pattern and stitch it to the front of the fire screen Um, and because a fire was a large central part of a room the fire screen also was a large central decoration Uh, so it was a chance for the young misses and that to the house to showcase their talents and skills Um, And then it would protect the room from some of the draft of a fireplace not in use, and it would protect the room from, um, some of the immediate heat of a fire. You needed the warmth in the room, but you didn't necessarily always need all that heat, so you needed a good screen, um, anyway, fire screen. Okay. Uh, the other thing that's much, much more obscure is Philippic, which I seriously... I've read Sense and Sensibility before, never bothered to look up Philippic, Um, never heard this. What is this? Apparently, um, Demogenes, back in ancient Greece, once wrote a um, scathing article of a king um, nearby and was like, this dude's mean and he doesn't like liberty and justice, you know, the kind of things that When you're a philosopher or orator, you yelled at kings for. Um, And apparently now, philippic means kind of like an epic denunciation. Talking down, you know, like, but of of epic proportions. So philippic is, um, yeah, a big statement of um, denouncing something. And uh, that's what that word means. It apparently was in the vernacular back then. Uh, not surprising, um, they studied a lot of classical literature in England um, in your schooling. A lot of a lot of studying of the Greeks and Romans. Um, so it's not surprising that they use words like Philippic. But um, oh, the, the reason it's called Philippic is the king Demogenes was talking down at was a king named Philip. I think of Macedonia. I looked it up 10 seconds ago and have forgotten. Yup, it's a Monday. Anyway, Philippic, fire screens, Miss Dashwoods, let's get back to our story. Mrs. John Dashwood had so much confidence in her husband's judgment that she waited the very next day on both Mrs. Jennings and her daughter, and her confidence was rewarded by finding even the former, even the woman with whom her sisters were staying, by no means unworthy of her notice, and, as for Lady Middleton, she found her one of the most charming women in the world lady middleton was equally pleased with mrs dashwood there was a kind of cold-hearted selfishness on both sides which mutually attracted them and they sympathized with each other in an insipid propriety of demeanour and general want of understanding the same manners however which recommended mrs john dashwood so good to the opinion of lady middleton did not suit the fancy of mrs jennings and to her she appeared nothing more than a proud-looking woman of uncordial address who met her husband's sisters without any affection and almost without having anything to say to them. For the quarter of an hour bestowed on Berkeley Street, she sat at least seven minutes and a half in silence. (laughs) Visiting periods. We've talked about this briefly a couple times. I'm just going to touch on it once more. Um, When you went to visit, um, we've talked about the visiting hour. The visits were usually conducted in 15 or 30 minutes. That's it. Enough time, essentially, to drink a cup of tea and say goodbye. That was a visit. Um, There are a lot of weird societal rules. This is one of them. I don't know who originally dictated that 15 minutes was the appropriate amount of time for a formal visit from family and friends, but that's what... That's what they dictated, and it's odd, and if my friend came all the way across London to see me, I'd want to spend more than 15 minutes with them, but, you know, such were the lives of them back then. Okay, moving on. Eleanor wanted very much to know, though she did not choose to ask, whether Edward was then in town, but nothing would have induced Fanny to voluntarily mention his name before her till able to tell her that his marriage with Miss Morton was resolved on, or till her husband's expectations on Colonel Brandon were answered, because she believed them still so very much attached to each other that they could not be judiciously divided in a world and deed on every occasion. The intelligence, however, that she would not give soon flowed from another quarter. Lucy came very shortly to claim Eleanor's compassion on being unable to see Edward, though he had arrived in town with Mr. and Mrs. Dashwood. He dared not come to Bartlett Buildings for fear of detection, though their mutual impatience to meet was not to be told. They could do nothing at present but write. Edward assured them himself of his being in town within a very short time by calling in twice at Berkeley Street. Twice was his card found on the table when they returned from their morning engagements. Eleanor was pleased that he had called, and still more pleased that she had missed him. The, the Dashwoods were so prodigiously delighted with the Middletons that had not a thought of the habit of giving anything they determined to give them. I'll try again. The Dashwoods were so prodigiously delighted with the Middletons that, though not much in the habit of giving anything, they determined to give them a dinner. And soon after their acquaintance began, they invited them to dine in Harley Street, where they had taken a very good house for three months. Their sisters and Mrs. Jennings were invited likewise, and John Dashwood was careful to secure Colonel Brandon, who, always glad to be where the Miss Dashwoods were, received his eager civilities with some surprise, but much more pleasure. They were to meet Mrs. Ferrars, but Eleanor could not learn whether her sons were to be of the party. The expectation of seeing her, however, was enough to make her interested in the engagement, for though now she could... For, though she could now meet Edward's mother without strong anxiety that had once promised to attend such an introduction, though she could now see her with perfect indifference as to her opinion of herself, her desire of being in company with Mrs. Ferrars, her curiosity to know what she was like, was as lively as ever. The interest with which she thus anticipated the party was soon increased afterwards, more powerfully than pleasantly, by hearing that the Miss Steeles were also to be at it. So well they had recommended themselves to Lady Middleton, so agreeable their assiduities made them to her, that though Lucy was scarcely elegant and her sister not even genteel, she was as ready as Sir John to ask them to spend a week or two in Conduit Street, and it happened to be particularly convenient to the Miss Steeles as soon as Dashwood's invitation was known, that their visit should begin a few days before the party took place. Their claims on the notice of Mrs. John Dashwood, as the nieces of the gentleman who, for many years, had the care of her brother, might not have done much, however, towards procuring them seats at her table. But Lady Middleton's guests—they must as Lady Middleton's guests—they must be welcome. And Lucy, who had long wanted to be personally known to the family, to have a nearer view of their characters and her own difficulties, and to have an opportunity of endeavouring to please them, had seldom been happier in her life than she was on receiving Mrs. John Dashwood's card. Where's my bell? Okay. It's been a while since I read any Jane Austen. You know, you kind of get into the flow of the language and the period, and it all just starts to... You don't need a lot of explanations because it all just starts to flow. It's been a while. It's not all kind of flowing for me. There's a lot of stopping and starting. I'm sorry if it's hard to listen to. Um, So I'm going to quick sum up. Um, yeah, so the Dashwood, it's, town is getting very busy as everyone's now involved. Um, Mrs. John Dashwood invi- is going to throw a dinner party and she is going to invite Lady Middleton. So of course they invite Colonel Brandon because they want to encourage, Mrs. John Dashwood wants to encourage Eleanor's courtship of Colonel Brandon. Even though that's not taking place, they've decided it is. And she wants to do anything that will separate Edward from Eleanor. So they invite Colonel Brandon. And then they invite the Miss Steeles um, to stay with them. You might be like, why would they do that? Fanny is a very classist person. Aha. Well, um, I don't remember if it was in this chapter or if I'm giving away something that comes up a little later. But essentially it was very likely that she did this as a preventative measure her husband did say things about about like being good to his sisters and having them stay for a visit and so she invites the miss seals and being like and then she'll be like oh no john our house is full we are so busy we have two guests you know they probably have like 10 bedrooms but you know what ups. actually it's a townhouse they probably don't have that many bedrooms but you, yeah you still get me so she was doing this sort of a secrety sort of way and anyway so they're going to be throwing this dinner party um and Eleanor's actually really intrigued to meet Mrs. Ferrer's um and there we go okay are we all are we all together here we go on eleanor its effect was very different she began immediately to determine that edward who lived with his mother must be asked as his mother was to be given to a party given by his sister and to see him for the first time after all that had passed and in the company of lucy she hardly knew how she could bear it these apprehensions perhaps were not founded entirely on reason and certainly not at all on truth they were relieved however not by her own recollection but by the good will of lucy who believed herself inflicting a severe disappointment when she told her that Edward would certainly not be in Harley Street on Tuesday, and even hoped that carrying the pain still further by persuading her that he was kept away by extreme affection for herself, which she could not conceal when they were together. The important Tuesday came that was to introduce the two young ladies to this formidable mother-in-law. Pity me, Miss Dashwood, said Lucy as they walked up the stairs together, for the Middletons arrived so directly after Mrs. Jennings that they all followed the servant at the same time. There is nobody here but you who can feel for me. I declare I can hardly stand. Goodness gracious! In a moment, I shall see the person that all my happiness depends on. That is to be my mother. Eleanor could not have given her immediate relief by suggesting the possibility of being Miss Morton's mother, rather than her own, whom they were about to behold, but instead of that, she assured her with great sincerity that she did pity her, to the utter amazement of Lucy, who, though really uncomfortable herself, at least hoped to see an object of irrepressible envy to Eleanor. These Ferrars were— These— Mrs. Ferrars was a little, thin woman, upright, even— to formality, in her figure, and serious, even to to sourness in her aspect. Her complexion was sallow, and her features small, without beauty, and naturally without expression, but a lucky contraction of the brow had rescued her countenance from the disgrace of insipidity, insipidity, by giving it a strong character of pride and ill-nature." She was not a woman of many words for unlike people in general she proportioned them in a number of her ideas and of the few syllables that did escape her not one fell to the share of Miss Dashwood whom she eyed with the spirit of determination of disliking her at all events Okay so in the mini series of sense and sensibility the one i really like um Mrs. Ferrers was played by this actress whose name I can't remember, but she was the same actress who played Bab Morda in the, like, 1990-something Willow movie. And I know I'm nerding out here, but, okay, if you've ever seen that Willow movie, good for you. If you haven't, what are you doing? Stop listening right now. Go watch Willow. It's the best. But Bab Morda being Mrs. Ferrers was always hysterical to me because it was just perfect. It was perfect casting because in Willow, she was that evil witch lady And then here she was, Mrs. Ferrer's, and I was just like, oh my god, I love that casting so much. Um, my childhood was a very, very, yeah, very happy. Oddly, she seemed not to have aged at all since Willow, so I'm not sure, but, yeah. Eleanor could not now be made unhappy by this behavior, and a few months ago it would have hurt her exceedingly, but it was not in Mrs. Ferrer's power to distress her by it now. And the difference of her manners to the Miss Steeles—a difference which seemed the, pu- which seemed purposely to make, to made to humble her more—only amused her. She could not but smile to see graciousness of both mother and daughter towards the very person, for Lucy was particularly distinguished with whom. Whom of all others, they had they known as much as she did, they would have been most anxious to mortify while herself, who had comparatively no power to wound them, sat pointedly slighted by both. but while she smiled graciousness, but while she smiled at graciousness so misapplied, she could not reflect on the mean-spirited folly from which it sprung, nor observe the studied attentions with, the, with which the metiles courted its countenance without a thoroughly despising them all for. Lucy was all exultation on being so honorably distinguished, and Miss Steele wanted only to be teased about Dr. Davies and to be perfectly happy. The dinner was a grand one, the soo- servants were numerous, and everything bespoke the mistress's inclination for show and the master's ability to support it. In spite of the improvements and additions which they were making to the Norland estate, and in spite of the owner having been within, once been within some thousand pounds of being obliged to sell out at a loss— "'Nothing gave any symptom of any of that kind which he had tried to infer from it. "'No poverty of any kind, except conversation, appeared. "'But there the deficiency was considerable. "'John Dashwood had not much to say for himself that was worth hearing, "'and his wife still had less. "'But there was no particular peculiar disgrace in this, "'for it was all very much the case with the chief of their visitors.' who almost laboured under one or other of these disqualifications of being agreeable, want of sense, either natural or improved, want of elegance, want of spirits, or want of temper. When the ladies withdrew to the drawing-room after dinner, this poverty was particularly evident, for the gentlemen had supplied the discourse with some variety, a variety of politics, enclosing on land and breaking horses. But when all that was over, one subject only engaged the ladies, till coffee came in, which was comparative heights, of Henry Dashwood and Lady Middleton's second son William, who were of nearly the same age, had both children been there, the affair might have been determined too easily by measuring them at once. But as Harry was only present, it was all conjectural assertion on both sides, and everybody had a right to be equally positive in their own opinion and repeat it over and over again as often as they liked. The two parties stood, or the parties stood thus. The two mothers, though we truly convinced that her own son would be the tallest, politely decided in favor of the other. The two grandmothers, with not less partiality but more sincerity, were earnest in support of their own descendant. Lucy, who was hardly less anxious to please one parent than the other, thought both boys were remarkably tall for their age, and could not conceive how there could be the smallest difference in the world between them and Miss Steele, with greater address, gave it, as fast as she could, in favor of each. Eleanor, having once delivered her opinion on William's side, by which she offended Mrs. Ferrars and Fanny still more, did not see the necessity of enforcing it any further association, assertion, and Marianne, when called on for hers, offended them all by declaring that she had no opinion to give, as she never thought about it. Before her moving from Norland, Eleanor had painted a very pretty pair of screens for her sister-in-law, which, being now just mounted and brought home, ornamented her present. Ornamented her present drawing room, and on these screens, catching the eye of John Dashwood on his following the other gentleman into the room, were officiously handed by him to Colonel Brandon for his admiration. These are done by my eldest sister," said he. "'And you, as a man of taste, will, I dare say, be pleased with them. "'I do not know whether you ever happened to see any of her performances before, "'but she is in general reckoned to draw extremely well.' "'The colonel, though disclaiming all pretensions to be a connoisseur, "'warmly admired the screens, as he would have done anything painted by Miss Dashwood, "'and the curiosity of the others being, of course, excited, "'they were handed round for general inspection.' Okay, so these sound like small little screens. Um, So there were probably like two small side-by-side ones um, that were put in front of the fire to shield, depending on where you were sitting. You could move the screen instead of a large main one um, to shield from giraffes. Um, And she painted, she probably painted um, on like canvas or something that was then mounted to woodwork. Just a guess. Oh. Do, 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 do Mrs. Ferris, not being aware of their being Eleanor's work, particularly requested to look at them, and after they had received the gratifying testimony of Lady Middleton's approbation, Fanny presented them to her mother, considerately informing her at the same time that they were done by Miss Dashwood. Hmm, said Mrs. Farris. Very pretty. And without regarding them at all, returned them to her daughter. Perhaps Fanny thought for a moment that her mother had been rude enough, for colouring a little, she immediately said They really are very pretty, ma'am, aren't they? But then again the dread of being too civil encouraged herself probably came over encouraging herself pro- probably came over her. That doesn't make any sense. For she presently added, Do not think they are something of Miss Morton's style of painting, ma'am. She does paint most delightfully. How beautifully her landscape was last done. Beautifully, indeed. But she does everything well. Marianne could not bear this. She was already a greatly displeased with Mrs. Ferrars, and such ill-timed praise of another at Eleanor's expense, though she had not any notion of what was principally meant by it provoked her immediately to say, with warmth, "'This admiration is of a very particular kind. "'What is Miss Morton to us? "'Who knows, or who cares for her? "'It is of Eleanor, whom we think and speak.' "'And so saying, she took the screens out of her sister-in-law's hands, "'admired them herself as they ought to be admired. "'Mrs. Ferris looked exceedingly angry, "'and drawing herself up more stiffly than ever, "'pronounced it. "'in retort to this bitter Philippic, "'Miss Morton is Lord Morton's daughter.' "'Fanny looked angry, too, "'and her husband was all in a fright at his sister's audacity. "'Eleanor was much more hurt by Marianne's warmth "'than she had been by what produced it. "'But Colonel Brandon's eyes, as they were fixed on Marianne, "'declared that he had only noticed what was amiable in it, "'the affectionate heart which could not bear to see his sister slighted with the smallest pain.' Marianne's feelings did not stop there. The cold insolence of Mrs. Farrow's general behavior to her sister seemed to her to foretell such difficulties and distresses to Eleanor as to wound her own heart and taught her to think with horror and urged a strong impulse of affectionate sensibility. She moved after a moment to her sister's chair, putting one arm round her neck and one cheek close to her, said in a low but eager voice, "'Don't! Dear, dear Eleanor, don't mind them. Don't let them make you unhappy. She could say no more. Her spirits were quite overcome, and hiding her face on Eleanor's shoulder, she burst into tears. Everybody's attention was called, and almost everybody was concerned. Colonel Brandon rose up with them without knowing that he did. Mrs. Jennings' very intelligent "'Ah, poor dear,' immediately gave her salts, "'and Sir John felt so desperately enraged "'against the author of this nervous distress "'that he instantly changed his seat to one close by Lucy Steele "'and gave her, in a whisper, "'a brief account of the whole shocking affair. "'In a few minutes, however, "'Marianne was recovered enough to put an end to the bustle "'and sit down amongst the rest, "'though her spirits retained the impression "'of what had passed throughout the whole evening. "'Poor Marianne!' "'Oh, no. Poor Marianne, said her brother to Colonel Brandon in a low voice as soon as he could secure his attention. She is not in good health as her sister. She is very nervous. She has not Eleanor's constitution. One must allow there has been something to a young woman who has been a beauty, but the loss of personal attractions. You would not think it, perhaps, but Marianne was remarkably handsome a few months ago, quite as handsome as Eleanor. Now you see, it is all gone. End chapter 12. Well, that was some dinner party. Um, Yeah, oh my goodness. Poor Marianne. I mean, I do feel sorry for her. It would have been extremely, extremely unfortunate to be an emotional person in that day and age. Because the trend was to be non-emotional. I mean... Yeah, I, I it just it would have just been really, really hard to be someone like Marianne in that day and age. I assume um it would be that hard to be someone who's not that emotional and much more private nowadays when everything is so public and so open and emotions so encouraged. Um I'm sure it's a, a very similar sort of feeling, but um yeah, so I do feel sorry for Marianne. But, wow, did she embarrass herself. Did she embarrass Eleanor? Oh, my gosh. And, of course, the Middletons and Mrs. Jennings were not helpful. Sir John immediately gossiping. Uh, Mrs. Jennings probably will, too. And, I, yeah, that was a bit of a, a clusterfuck of a dinner party. But, um, you know, it. I, I'm glad for Eleanor's sake that she knows that... Edward is off the table, so she's never gonna have to be affected by Mrs. Ferrer's rude manners. It is it is sad though, because I mean she's definitely having to be essentially punished by this woman for no reason. I it's it's must be bothersome, but at least she has a good attitude about it, you know, she can just be kind of amused by it. Um and she's not doesn't seem super wounded. Um. Yeah. Anyway, well, that was a an awkward dinner party, <laughs> but um, we'll we'll hope that the next chapter is not quite so awkward with the dinnering. And um, yeah, I'm sure we'll hear more from the Miss Steeles and Lucy about how excited she was to be treated well, which they were only doing, of course, to insult Eleanor. But you know, that's gonna that's gonna backfire epically. one assumes. All right, well, that's all for today. I'm probably going back down to just one chapter a day um, unless I start getting up much earlier. (laughs) So have a good Monday, everybody, and I'll see you tomorrow.